It is good to be home. Praise the Lord. I appreciate, I mean, more than you will know, this church family. Just allowing us the time away is a blessing. Um, as was mentioned, Pastor Nate said, uh, for those of you who think pastors only work you know, once a week, I actually worked once a week then the past two weeks. Uh, I, did, uh, I did fill the pulpit uh, twice. Uh, my first speaking engagement was in my hometown of Asheboro. Those Thank You Jesus signs, that church, uh, the one that put those out, they sell them in the bookstores, uh, you'll see them around here. The, that's where those signs began. A little teenage kid, teenagers better listen up. Don't think you can do something for Jesus? I got news for you, you can. kid by the name of Lucas that goes to church there uh, for a school project came up with those Thank You Jesus signs. And they're worldwide now. In fact, when they left, if you'll see on the way out, I've now got a new bumper sticker. They gave me a Thank You Jesus magnet bumper sticker. And a couple of signs to go as, as well in my yard and other places. But uh, uh, I appreciated that opportunity. That was the first Sunday. And uh, yes, it's true. They gave me the pulpit at 10 minutes till noon. <laughs> they don't know me, do they? Wow. And, and listen, I'm telling you the truth. When I got up there, I wanted them to know right from the start. I said, guys... Just so we're clear, my average sermon, my average sermons are 52 minutes long. And they all laughed. And I said, that wasn't a joke. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> and uh, we got, I think they got out around 1240 that day. But anyway, you know, hey, uh, it, I did what I had to do, right? Brought the word. That's what they had me there for. The following Sunday, I'm going to get fed. Whew, okay, we're going to Allison's parents' church. As uh, soon as I get to the door, the preacher says, Oh, hey, I didn't know you were going to be here. How about you bring the message this, this morning? <laughs> be ready in season, out of season. So I brought the Word of God to them on Sunday. Both were a joy. It was a great joy to, uh, anytime to share God's Word anywhere with anybody, guys. is a privilege and it's an honor. And, but it makes me miss my home family. And I am thankful to be back to my church family. I know you were in great hands. I mean, obviously the Lord protects His children but I also know he calls shepherds, and uh, I know Pastor Nate, Pastor Dean had their eyes on things here, and I know Pastor Nate did a phenomenal job. We talked a lot. There was a lot of texting when I, when I was not buried in the mountains of Boone, North Carolina, or Asheville, uh, when I had signal, um, and so we stayed in contact, and so y'all had a busy couple of weeks. Uh, I know y'all worked him hard. He earned his keep past two weeks, but I appreciate him holding down the fort while we were away. Thank you for your prayers. Was able to sit under the teaching of Dr. Albert Moeller at the Billy Graham Training Center, and it was phenomenal. Uh, I got fed spiritually, um, got revitalized spiritually, and uh, so I'm, I'm back, ready to hit the ground running, and um, want to pour into you the things that God was showing me and teaching me, and I, I, I trust that will, will come through uh, in our time together. Take your Bibles if you would. Let's go to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, as you know, we begin this survey series, uh, which is a little different than what we normally do here in the pulpit. Uh, but we begin a, a survey series of 1 Peter. And the first week uh, we talked about, well, I'll, I'll get to that. Let me give you, let's, let's do a little recap. 1 Peter. When you open 1 Peter and you begin to read, by the way, when you read your scriptures, you should read a book at a time, right? And these are letters. I have to say this over and over again because we need to hear this over and over again. 
When you get a letter from your sweetheart, you don't just read one line and put it down. No, you smell it, you look at it, you think about it, you read it over and over, you know? You share it with your best friends, whatever. When we get letters from God, why would we treat it any less, any different? We need to understand this letter. We need to understand who it's written to, when it's written, the context, who's the audience, who's receiving it, what's going on during the time this letter was written. And so 1 Peter, we come to this letter, and we know that it's on the eve. He's writing in Rome, Nero, the evil emperor Nero, uh, has torched the city. He's blamed the Christians. Rome is burning. Uh, Peter is writing this on the eve, and he's sending this letter out because he knows what's getting ready to happen. Persecution is coming to the church. The believers are going to be going through some serious junk. And he wants to prepare them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for what's going to be coming. He's wanting to encourage them in the midst of the things they will face. Guys, that's no different. We as a recipient of this letter today, some of you are facing some junk. Some of you have been through some junk. And if you ain't facing some junk, you ain't been through some junk, get ready, you're going through some junk. All right? Because it's coming. That's just the Christian life. That's life, isn't it? But as Christians, we have an anchor in the midst of storms. And so 1 Peter is an encouragement to you. If you're facing some stuff, if you've been through some stuff, or if you're getting ready to go into some stuff, 1 Peter should be a great encouragement to you, Christian. And so I want to remind us that. Today we're going to be talking about suffering. And you're saying, yes, we know, we've got to sit through 52 minutes of your sermon. No, that's not what I'm talking about. We looked at, during the first week, when we began this series, about salvation. Peter begins to write to his audience about the importance of understanding their salvation. Christian, you need to understand your salvation. We talked about how salvation should call us to a hope. The verse in 1-3, it talked about that He has begotten us to a living hope. Your salvation has come. The justification, the past tense, that was at the cross. Remember we talked about this. The past part of your salvation was justification. God said you are not guilty because of who His Son is and because of what His Son did on your behalf. When you as a believer come to repentance and faith in Christ, He says, boom, not guilty. Not because of who you are, not because of what you've done or what you're doing, but because of who Jesus Christ, His Son is, God incarnate, has paid in full our penalty. That should be encouragement if you're going through some stuff. That in the big picture, God sees you as He sees His Son. Righteous in your standing. Not guilty of the sins, the guilt, the shame that you and I tend to carry. That's good news. Salvation, past justification, present sanctification. We talked about this, how we are in a process right now as believers. And so Peter wants these people to know that are scattered throughout the land that Nero's persecution is going to increase. He's going to set them on fire to light his garden up at night. He's going to be putting them into the arena and make them fight the lions for sport. He wants those people who are going to soon be facing their deaths to understand you've been justified. 
And presently speaking, God is still at work in the midst of your circumstances to conform you to His Son. And so He gave instructions in, in how we should live presently, knowing that God is still at work in us, still working on us. Sanctification, that's the present tense of salvation. And then, of course, the future tense was all through this first portion of the Scripture of salvation. Because God wants you to know this is not your home, pilgrim. You've been begotten, you've been saved, you've been purchased, you've been redeemed for a time to come. Glorification, the final aspect of our salvation. Christ is returning. He will return. He has made you a promise, Christian. And so therefore, anchor your soul in salvation. That's what Peter's saying in those first two chapters. So as you go back and you read through the letter of 1 Peter 1 and 2, think about salvation. Think about how Peter is trying to encourage the believer with what he knows is coming so that they will rest confident in their salvation. Nate talked about submission. I didn't get a copy of your outline. I did listen while I was away, while I had signal. Um, But here's basically what the section of submission covered. And this was from, again, 2.11 on up through chapter 3. He talked about submission. And submission should create within us obedience. Again, we are called to be submissive. Uh, Nate went through this. He talked about how we're to be submissive for, uh, towards our government. Let me say that again. We're to be submissive to our government. And the Scripture talks about it. Now again, let's put this in context. Who's the president then? Uh, Who's the emperor then? Nero. He's lighting Christians on fire. He's feeding them to lions. And Peter, you have the audacity to tell me to submit? I have my rights. Guys, we have no rights. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. We belong to Him. And so what Peter is wanting us to be encouraged about, guys, if this is not your home, you're just passing through, you're an ambassador for the kingdom to come, you're a representative, how important is it that we represent? How important is it for you and I to be representatives of the kingdom to come? Because we want as many people to be a part of that kingdom as possible, right? We want to share the good news with as many people while we have time. You want to know what's going to separate you from the crowd? Submission. Now, we have clear examples. I know Nate talked about this. Sometimes when you go through, there are certain examples in Scripture where when it's asking us to go against God, we submit to the higher power, we submit to God, right? So if your government ever asks you to do things, stop preaching Jesus. Well, we ain't doing that because we've got a higher calling, right? But most of us, that's not our battle and our struggle. Again, you don't have to like the emperor, but God says we're to be submissive because God has set people in power as ministers of His will. And so that's important. We're also to be submissive to our employers. Nate talked about this. I want to rehash it. Husbands. Oh, I won't go there. But one to another. The point is, when you look at any structure in our society, 
whether it's government, whether it's our job, whether it's our home, whether it's our church, we're called as God's followers to be submissive people. And that's important, guys, uh, to understand. It produces obedience in our walk because ultimately I'm obeying God. And that's important. And so that's what brings us to today's subject, suffering. And again, this is a, a, just a simple threefold outline of this letter. So as you go through the, uh, the book of 1 Peter, salvation, submission, and suffering. And so what do we find here? Suffering should cause us to stand. One of the guys that uh, I met at the pastor's retreat, which by the way, again, it's uh, the, the Cove. If you ever get an opportunity to take a retreat, you don't have to be a pastor. I mean, you just go. The Cove is an awesome place. Um, you get to walk around, down, there's multi-levels, there's a downstairs area that's got display of all the artifacts from Billy Graham's crusades and pictures. I mean, just one of the most amazing pictures is where you see Billy Graham standing there behind a pulpit, and the camera shot is from behind him, it's one of those panoramic views, and all, you, all there is is a sea of people. You cannot even see the end of the people. And this is not Photoshop, folks, this is way back when, in China. And to think he stood there and gave the gospel to all those people. It's, it's just an amazing place. But while we were there um, during the seminar, there was a, a pastor that uh, connected with he and his wife. And my wife and I, we spent time with them, uh, eating with them and just fellowshipping. And it was just really encouraging. He's a pastor down in Georgia. And uh, uh, one of the things I liked uh, that, that he did in, in his preparation, he, <laughs> he did a one-sentence he summed up his sermon in one sentence. And he would put that on his website and on his podcast and things like that. Now, don't get any ideas. That doesn't mean I'm going to be done in one sentence, folks, all right? That's wishful thinking. But I thought it was a good idea to kind of, you know, again, hone in the main point, the main theme in the one sentence. So if we're looking at suffering, the one sentence, that, that, that may be a takeaway if we would, when it comes to uh, this idea, what suffering should do in your life, what suffering should do in my life, what Peter is trying to say to the believer when the suffering happens, it should cause us to stand. And we'll see this as we read and unpack this. But notice what he says. Let's begin our reading in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1. Which, by the way, the context actually begins in chapter 3 uh, as, as far as that goes. So uh, on your own time, you may want to go back and pick up your reading in chapter 3 because he talks about Christ's suffering and ours and then he comes into chapter 4, which we'll begin for time's sake here, because we've got a lot of Scripture to cover. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now let me stop there, because what he's not saying, he's not saying, because a lot of people confuse this interpretation of this passage. What he's in essence saying is this, because he's been given this whole argument of obedience and submission, and he's talking about Christ's suffering. He's saying, look, Jeremy used to drink, chew, go with girls that do. He has since come to the understanding of salvation, has submitted his life to Christ, has by faith received Christ, therefore he no longer does that. He's a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away, behold, all things are becoming new. He's saying, look, you've made a break from sin. Christian, you have made a break from sin as a follower, as a believer in Christ. And so it's important that we understand that. So he continues on. 
He's saying, look, you've made a break from sin. So arm yourself with the same mind, for suffering in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men. I used to live for the lust of the flesh. So did you, Christian. That's still our battle. But he says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to Him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, and that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So here's the crazy thing, Christian. Now, some of you know this. Some some of you have been through this. You've been down this road. I I know I have. I know that whenever uh, God got a hold of my life at age 25 and I gave up the the riotous living as a prodigal son, getting up out of the slop and and, and returning home to my heavenly Father and, and being received, I no longer hung out with the people I used to run with. I began to find fellowship amongst Christians and believers. And by the way, if you're a young believer, let me just tell you, even this pastor struggled with the thoughts of, I don't fit in with these people. These people know their Bible. I can't even find what chapter. I don't even know what book, where the book is. The, the preacher told us to go to. By the time I get there, they're already done. I, I don't fit in with these people. They, they live right. I, if they knew what I've done, they wouldn't even want me in here. Guys, that's a lie of Satan. Those are those fiery darts he shoots at you to make you think you don't belong. Listen, if you have turned from sin to Christ, you belong. For the first time in your life, you belong. So get thee behind me, Satan, when those thoughts come at you. As a follower of Christ, we belong. And so Peter's writing here and he's saying, look, you don't do those things you used to do. And you know what they do? They make fun of you. I know firsthand what that was like. I'd be like, hey guys, our church is going on a whitewater rafting trip. Why don't y'all go? I'll pay you away. Won't you come? Oh man, I got, I got something I got to do Sunday. Meanwhile, back at the back cave, Jeremy's done got religion on us. He thinks he's better than us. Ooh, Jeremy, you, you're one of them holy rollers now. I can't hang out with you. You're too good for us. Isn't that weird? But that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, look, you no longer do those things that you used to do, those revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them anymore. He goes to church now. (laughs) Yeah, give him a little time. He'll be back out here. That's what they say about you. They will give an account. But it's for this reason the gospel was preached. Guys, there are folks that need the gospel. You got opportunity two times this week. And I want to encourage you, Christian. Pray for Wednesday night outreach, trunk or treat. 
We're giving gospel tracts out. People need the good news. They still need the good news. Pray for that. And homecoming. Who don't like a good pot roast? Who don't like some fried chicken? Green bean casserole. Y'all know the lady that invented green bean casserole? Y'all hear it? Died this week. Did anybody hear that story? Was I the only one? Yes, y'all heard that? Yeah, thanks. See, I got a witness. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Yes. The lady who invented green bean casserole died this past week. Now, I heard the story. I don't know if she was a believer, but man, you talk about an impact on an American church. <laughs> I mean, really, right? There <laughs> got to be something for that. I don't know. Anyway. We've got opportunity. Invite somebody to homecoming. Get a co-worker to come. Say, hey, I want to get your whole family's lunch on Sunday. Huh? Yeah, I'm going to treat Sunday. You come with me. Meet me at such and such place, such and such time. Invite them. Uh, anyway, bring them out. It's my plug for the week. But notice, Peter continues on. He says, uh, by the way, this, this I don't want to get too much here and bog down in the theological of it. Um, he preached to the dead. What's that about? Well, I believe the idea is that, uh, again, these folks that were prior to uh, Noah's day received the gospel. People in that day, Christians who had already gone to the grave, had heard the gospel. There's also the understanding that when Christ descended, He led the captivity captive, right? So the idea of, uh, and again, we understand the theology of that they're in Abraham's bosom, the Old Testament saints, when they died, where they go? They went into this, if you will, picture a holding chamber, and on one side, the great gulf fix is Abraham's bosom. On the other side is, 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 is Sheol, it's the grave, it's, it's death, it's hell. And the, between the two is a great gulf fix. Christ goes down about, upon completion of the cross in his death, three days in the grave. What was he doing? Some... Uh, theologians will say he was there bringing to those who have had their faith looking for the Messiah to come he appeared to them and said I've arrived let's go to glory and he let them out now again whether interpretation which one you go with it's really not going to change the point of the passage the point of the passage here the truth is that we must proclaim the gospel because Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious, watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love one for another. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, 
He's, he's blasphemed. But on your part, He's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. So Peter starts here in this, this section, which by the way, we didn't have the chapters and the verses, and that's why it's important to go back into chapter 3 and get the context of he, he talks about Christ's suffering first. And then he comes here and he says, so, so for this, we should arm ourselves with the same mind as Christ. Christian, you're facing some junk, you've been through some junk, you're going to be going through some junk. What's my encouragement to you? What is my take home? What is your take home today from your pastor to you through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God? Arm yourself. Somebody said, hey, see, right there you go. Uh, there's, your, there's your right, your biblical right uh, to arm yourself. Anyway. No, so he said, arm yourself with the same mind as Christ. Arm yourself with the same mind as Christ. Well, what kind of mind did Christ have? What, what, what are we told in Scripture? Well, what's the point of this? Well, let's look at a few passages. Second, our 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Did you know you have the mind of Christ? Now think about it. How many of you men, don't raise your hand, uh, you, your wife has said to you, I'd, I'd like to just give you a piece of my mind. <laughs> well, guess what? God has given us a piece of his mind. It's called the Word of God. If you want to know what God thinks on any subject, any situation, anything you're going to face, He has given you His thoughts. That Bible you hold is the very thoughts of God. It's the very Word of God. So if I want to know the mind of God, Christian as a believer, he says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. We also see in Romans 15, 6, that you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we look through the Scriptures, believers, we're encouraged that as a church, as a body, as a family, that we be like-minded, that we be on the same page, that we be of one accord. And I'm not talking about the Honda. I have a hard time getting in there. We'll be like a group of clowns, right? Do, do, do. Hey, there's a theme for this. No, that'd be too scary. All right. That you may have one mind. Now, notice what else, Scripture. We see this in Philippians 1, 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Guys, one of our like-mindedness in Christ and having the mind of Christ is that we will stand together in the sharing of the gospel. 
Isn't that what Peter just talked about? The proclamation of the gospel? How important it is to share the gospel? Church, we must share the gospel. You want to arm yourself? Arm yourself with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That will put us on the same page in the will of God. 1 Peter 1, 13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're suffering? Peter's just given you the mind of God. He's coming. He's going to return. In, in, the, in the scheme of eternity, guys, this is a blip on the radar. Set your hope fully on Christ's coming. By the way, what do we know? Because in the context of 1 Peter 3, one of context, 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 he's just talked about the suffering of Christ. What do we know from Hebrews? Because we spent how many years in Hebrews? Don't answer that. In Hebrews, we're told Jesus endured the suffering of the cross and the shame set before him. How? Why? What? Enduring that suffering, how? What does it say? For the joy set before him. Well, we know that joy wasn't the cross because he prayed already the night before, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Humanly speaking, Jesus knows what it's like, guys. You don't want to suffer. Who does? That's why we spend all of our life, Christian, hear me, if we tuned out, we better tune back in. This is why you and I spend so much of our life trying to keep ourselves comfortable. Because we don't want suffering. Yet suffering is the one thing that conforms us more to the image of His Son. You want to talk about having the mind of Christ? He emptied Himself of all the glory to take on the form of a man. Though He knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf. You talk about some suffering. I can't even begin to imagine the level of suffering to take the weight of the, the sin of the world. To, to leave all of glory. Because again, don't take my word for it. Read the Scriptures. Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. He didn't find it robbery to be equal with God. But yet he emptied himself. And he came into this world. And he's praying in the garden. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, thy will be done. You want to know how to face suffering? There's your answer. That's the mind of Christ. It's okay to cry out. It's okay to say, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to suffer this. But nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. And Christ, like a sheep, led to the slaughter. No one took his life. He laid it down for the will of God. None of us are promised health, wealth, and prosperity. That's a false gospel. You know, we are promised that if we choose to live righteous lives, we will suffer persecution. And in this world, there is suffering. That's part of the general curse. So, if I'm going to arm myself with the mind of Christ... If, if I'm expected in the midst of suffering to respond Christ-like, how? How? i got to ask, how? 
We're told here in this section of Scripture, the how, the answer, is live for the will of God. That's the example Jesus gave to us. Live for the will of God. Verse 7, notice in the text, if you would, he says, pray. You want to have the mind of Christ? Here's the mind of Christ. Pray. Verse 8, he says, love. Christian, think about these guys are getting ready to be fed to the lions. These guys are being under some severe persecution. They are, are being beaten. They are being killed. They've scattered. People are speaking evil of them. They're lying about them. And he says, love. He says, be hospitable. Well, they show up at my house and they kick in my bamboo door and they shake me down and they take my goats. Be hospitable. Give me chickens. Oh, hold off now, finders. I know, this, that's precious. <laughs> but seriously, right? What did Jesus say? If a thief comes and he, he steals, give him the shirt off your back. Well, this, is, this is hard stuff, Jesus. It's easy preach, hard lived. Serve. Verse 10. Again, this is all Bible, guys. This is a simplistic outline. It's right there in the Scriptures. If we want to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ in the midst of suffering, we must live for the will of God. And this is the will of God. People say, well, I, I, Pastor, I, just, I don't know what God wants for my life. I don't, I don't know God's will for my life. Yes, you do. It's right there in Scripture. Because this isn't your home. We need to stop being pilgrim hoarders, if you will, in the sense of thinking this world is where all my stuff is. No, man, I need to store up my treasures in heaven. God, give me a renewed emphasis. Give me a renewed focus because of my salvation, because I've been justified, because of the present tense sanctification that you're desiring to do in me and through me, because of the one day glorification I have hope. That this isn't my home. That being fed to the lions or torched is not the end. This is why salvation is important. So therefore, I can be submissive to my employer, though they're a jerk. I can still be submissive to my husband, even though he's a jerk. <laughs> that wasn't a testimonial, by the way, I don't think. so. I can still submit to my government. Though they're all jerks. The will of God. Pray, love, be hospitable. Serve. But notice, we're not to serve. I don't have to muster it up. I don't got to pull it up by my bootstraps. I can't. I can't do that. If I'm going to serve, I've got to serve with what God supplies me with. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, um, As each one has received a gift... Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Christian, did you know you've been given a spiritual gift? God has invested in you a spiritual gift. I talked to my new members class this morning. We'll be talking about uh, spiritual gifts next week. God has invested in you a spiritual gift, and He expects you to be a good steward of it. That means you need to manage it well. And let's just be honest, some of us have gifts, spiritually speaking, and we're not using them. 
If you are not using your spiritual gift, yes, I'm talking to you. If you are using your spiritual gift, I'm reminding you. And I'm preaching this so that I too will recall what God has said. Guys, this is God's will. God's will is that we will serve with the gift He supplied you with. You don't, but I don't know how to, you don't have to. God's given it to you. It's on the job training, but it's awesome. Benefits are out of this world. Just saying. So if we want to arm ourselves in the midst of suffering, how? Live for the will of God. Notice what he says here in verse 11. He continues on. He says, do not be surprised. Uh, if anyone speaks, let him speak as oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies. In all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He continues in 12. Beloved, he's saying, Christian, beloved, my, my, my loved ones, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You know what happens sometimes? Why does, this, why does bad stuff always happen to me? If I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. By the way, luck is living under Christ's kindness. Luck, living under Christ's kindness. L-U-C-K, see what it did there? Living under Christ's kindness. Lucky, living under Christ's kindness. Yeah. All right. For those who've never heard that, write that one down. By the way, I've got to give credit to our guest speaker, Stugemeyers, his wife. Taught me that one. I have to remind her of that next week. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Hey, there's a promise to highlight in your Bible. <laughs> you know, we always want to highlight those ones that, Oh, yes, I'm going to name that and claim that one right there. All right, well, name and claim that one. Just saying. Peter says, Look, don't be surprised, guys. Why would you be surprised? Jesus said they hated him. They're going to hate you. And if they ain't hating you, maybe we ain't living like Jesus. I'm just saying. I'm just asking. I don't know. You tell me. Do not be surprised. Sometimes we think it's, it's, it's a shock. You know, why this is happening to me? Notice his, his answer here. He says, rejoice. Oh, okay. So uh, there's your answer. Rejoice. Yeah. Not exactly what the answer I was looking for. Verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. That's why you rejoice, Christian. If God sees it fit to say, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Mark? Oh, God, there's a lot of Marks here, so I could use that one. Rejoice. That's a jewel. That's a badge of honor. That's a God says, oh, wait, wait till this one comes through, the fiery trial. You know what a fiery trial, that word fiery trial there was the idea of a testing of fire. A metal worker would put that in there, that precious metal, and burn off the impurities. And the only way they were going to get rid of those impurities was go through the fire. 
And that metal worker would burn that and heat that to the point that all that dross would rise to the top and then it would be cleared away and, and the metal worker could see the reflection in that precious metal as it was heated. And guys, when we go through some fiery trials, it's to get rid of some impurities in our life it's so that we can become more and more conformed to the image of God. More and more conformed to the image of His Son. We're blessed, it says in verse 14. And he says, like the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16, he says, we're not to be ashamed, but let him glorify God in the matter. Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, to the, to the Gentile, to the Greek, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And when we live for the will of God, we should not either. 1 Peter 4, 16, he goes on and says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Are you going through something this morning? Can I encourage you, just as Peter encouraged the saints of that day who were facing some pretty serious persecution, some suffering like you and I probably could not imagine, let God have His will in your circumstances. Arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Respond in the moment in the way that's going to bring glory to God. That's what he's asking. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Guys, God is faithful. And He won't leave you. And He won't forsake you. Now don't suffer, He says in the text, as an evildoer. We talked about in Hebrews, discipline. And you know the different things. Sometimes discipline is corrective in nature, right? Sometimes it's because you've been a bad, bad boy. But sometimes it's preventative to keep you from going off the trail, so to speak. But when it comes to the will of God, recognize that suffering is a part of our walk. And Christ is our example. And we'll look at that. You know, this past week at Tove, my wife and I, um, there was one thing we'd never done when we went there. We'd been there many times over the past 20 years of ministry. Uh, it's one of, like I said, one of our favorite places to go when we can. Um, and, and there was always, always heard about, oh, you, you know, you should take the hike to the overlook. I really had no interest in that until this time. I said, you know, we've been here this, this long. I just, just felt like I'd been gorging myself and I needed some exercise. Um, I said, let's do it. Let's take the hike. It's three miles up. And when I say up, <laughs> it's up. So over three miles up and over three miles coming back. Now, we set out and they told us, you know, plan about four hours um, to, to do this. And of course, you know, I'm expecting it's a nice trail. It's going to be fine. I am telling you, when it's right, and I probably should have put the pictures up here to, to kind of let, some of you have seen them online, but you know, it starts off in the lower area and it's just cool and it's nice and we begin this nice stroll and there's a water stream right there and it's just so beautiful. I mean, it's amazing. 
we grab some sticks just in case, you know, we get a few little steep inclines, maybe we'll need these. Guys, let me just tell you, as we began to get to about mile one, <laughs> my wife and I, we thought we were going to die. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, man, this thing was like, I mean, it was like straight up and I'm holding on to the stick. And most of the pictures you see, it's because we're stopping just to catch our breath. I'm just like, I need a break. They put a few benches like every mile. So like three times I got to sit down and actually catch my breath. And it got, there were some parts of this trail that was so steep and I would lose my footing. In fact, coming down, I almost bought the farm, man. My wife was already counting the, uh, uh, the inheritance money, I think. Because I, I stepped on one of those rocks and it was wet. And I was, whoa! And, and, and if you're on a hill, you can't stop. you got to run. And if your body outruns your legs, <laughs> you're in trouble. And I'm serious, I about bit the farm on that one. My wife's like, oh, oh, you know, she's freaking out. I finally got stable. But guys, this was a, this was a hard journey. I'm really trying to say it was... Now, I know Pastor Nate's like, dude, I jogged that before breakfast. I jogged that while I'm eating breakfast. You know. But for us, this was difficult. But I'm telling you, we were not going to give up. There were many times it entered into my mind, I'm, I think hers as well, that, you know what, let's just go back. You know, because we'll be late for dinner. <laughs> anyway. But let's just go back. Didn't say it out loud, but the thoughts came through, man. Just want to quit. But we kept on. We kept persevering and we kept pushing forward. And we kept climbing and we kept climbing. And what was cool was every now and then you meet another hiker coming down. It was all these young, you know, skinny guys that were like Nate, you know, jogging, you know, or something. But, but they were encouraging. I was like, how much further? Oh, you got about another mile and a half. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. you know. But they, then I remember there was one guy who was like, you got to keep going. You're almost there. You're getting close. He stopped and talked with us. He says, man, when you get up there, you're going to see a bench at first, and you're going to sit down. He said, but, but don't stay there. That's not the end. He said, you're going to see the trail. It's going to kind of go down, and it's going to go up one last turn. And that last one's a little bit of a steep incline. Keep going. So that's the encouragement we needed to finish that last leg. And I'm telling you, when we got to that last leg... My wife was crying. I mean, I'm crying now. I'm telling you, it was amazing. We come around this corner and all of a sudden it opened up to one of the most glorious scenes humanly that I could take in in this moment. And with all the struggle that we had to go through to get there, it flooded my soul and this is why I'm crying now. It's because this is the journey of life. Man, we're struggling, we're suffering, but one day, guys, it's going to open up and it's going to be glorious. And it's going to be unimaginable. We're not going to be able to think or process how amazing it's going to be because that does not do justice for the glory that awaits those of us who have our hope in Jesus Christ. So keep your journey pushing, Christian. Keep going. Suffering is coming. It's going to happen. That's part of life. But this is not your home, pilgrim. It's not your home. Anchor your soul in salvation. Let's be submissive to God. And when the suffering comes, let us rejoice in doing the will of God. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for how you teach us. Thank you for your encouragement through your word. How it speaks to us. How it's living and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, let it penetrate in our hearts this morning. Let it encourage us in our journey not to give up. Let us press forward. Let us do your will. And may you be glorified in that day. We'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.